0: Hello, everyone. My name is Tina Dare, and I want to welcome you to the Surge Network's Faith, Work, and Rest podcast, where we explore what it means to glorify God and love our neighbor through our daily work and rest. Maybe you're one of those people who have a strong sense of calling like you have just known you know ever since you were a little girl or ever since you took that college class that you just feel called by god created for a certain type of work and you are going hard after that maybe that's you and maybe it's gone well so far Or maybe that is you and you feel discouraged and just like questioning why it's not happening. Or maybe you just really struggle to feel a cohesive sense of being called to a certain type of work. I love today's conversation with Anthony Hernandez because he actually talks about how he has a very strong calling to a certain type of work and it happens to not be the work that he's done for the past decade God has not um, given him that work to do in in terms of his full-time paid employment but through him being faithful to steward his everyday work he has come to see the beauty and the power and the importance um, of his work as a as a claims manager we we joke about his title, I, I re, re, rename Named his title in the podcast episode. Um, but yeah, I just think that there's something so important about recognizing that while God puts desires deep into our heart, and He may even give us specific callings to be faithful to, oftentimes those get worked out slowly over time. Um, and and what we are all called to as followers of Christ is to be faithful. And so that means whether we're walking and, and doing our dream job or living fully into um, what we feel like we were, quote unquote, made to do, or whether we're doing a job that doesn't seem like it suits us, as we press into just being faithful to honor and glorify God and love our neighbor through our daily work, we begin to see that all of life um, is just dripping with opportunity to live out the gospel. And so I hope you're as encouraged and you have as much fun uh, with this episode as I did. I'm here today with Anthony Hernandez. Anthony is the senior manager of claims at Global Trans. He's also a father to five daughters and just an active um, leader and participant in his church community right here in Phoenix. Thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Tina. I'm glad to be here.
0: All right, just to dive us in, can you start by telling us about a rhythm that you do that has helped to restore you in this past pretty disoriented year?
1: Yeah, helps restore me. Um, God, that's an interesting way to ask. It feels, you know, so so cool, like kind of hip. Restore me. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have many uh, rhythms that restore me. Uh, Okay. So every night, this is something I've been doing for for many years with my daughters. Um, They had trouble falling asleep. They're nine, eight, and seven now, my oldest daughters. And when they were younger, they wouldn't go to bed. So I would sit in their bedroom, put some lullabies on, and we would talk about our day. And then eventually it kind of evolved into this happy part, sad part, where they would share a highlight and they would share like Mm. kind of a low- and, and then we'd pray as a family. And then that mm-hmm. extended out of the room to where we start. Well, now we're kind of doing it in our living room with my wife. And now we have two more daughters who are kind of there. Uh, they're a little young to be participating. But I would say that is a date that we do that every single night. And mm-hmm. that is something that I, I would say restores me as a father, as a man, to be able to sit with my family and hear What's been good about their day? What's been bad? It's, it's usually sometimes they just repeat stuff, but just to have that time has been restorative for me. Hmm. Um, I would say annually, you know, even in 2020, which has been a wild year. Um, there's there's two two times every single year that I take off from work. Uh, I take off a week in in May, or usually around May. And then another week during Christmas, and I kept that same pattern even in twenty twenty, even though I'm working from home. So mm. you know, taking time off, you know, it feels kind of weird because there's no, there's not really much more to do, because uh, I'm already here. But taking that time, being with just my family and kind of logging off of work, because um, I could be a bit of a workaholic, uh, has has I again how ha- helped restore me and and just keep me kept me um, healthy, you know, kept me sane um those few things i hope that answers your question
0: yeah that's great okay and now just continue with a, a bio of yourself tell Let's us go. more about your story family
1: okay yeah i mean you already said it i i'm a father to five beautiful little girls from nine all the way to newborn um, mm. I'm a married man 10 and a half years in this may will be 11 years i did not grow up in the church and uh um, I actually got invited to a, a young life thing when I was about 16 and, and God used young life, uh, to, to share the gospel with me. And that's where I got saved and been living for the Lord ever since, um, 36 now. And so, you know, that's about half my life that that's been given over to God. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm living, living my best life right now.
0: So good. Okay. And so what do you, what do you do for work? Describe some of the various hats wear for your job. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, so just my job. You want just the hats let's, for my job? Let's
0: yeah. Let's start there. So we'll we'll keep talking about all the the you know covert things you do. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The official work first. We'll right.
1: Okay. Well, my title is, and it sounds fancier than it is, a senior manager of claims at Global Trans. I recently got promoted towards the end of 2020, and I some, sometimes I'll even bring it up to my wife. The past few months, I I tell her, I go, Can you believe I'm a senior? manager like you need to respect me now (laughs) manager which is which is crazy i mean um you know i don't i i kind of just landed in logistics so global trans is a logistics company that's where i work um just to kind of uh do my elevator pitch here um we don't own trucks but basically we marry two different parties there's there's people who have product so think coke think People like Intel, they got to ship stuff. And then mm-hmm. there's trucking companies. They have trucks to move stuff. And so both of those companies come to us for, you know, whether it be pricing or relationship or business reasons, and they'll say Global Trans you know, trucking companies will say, help me find a customer. Customers will say, "Global Trans, help me find a truck. And then we'll, we'll marry these two parties. And then if something goes wrong, that's where I step in. Something's damaged, stolen, lost. Uh, I jump in. So that's my, my, my official title. I lead a team of, man, we're getting new people now. So four, five, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. So I have a team of 11 people who report directly to me, pretty wow. big team. Um, so uh, uh, I would say unofficial titles. Um, there are times I feel very fatherly, even for, for these group. Uh, one guy on my team is going to turn 24 on Sunday. So he's uh, 12 years younger than me. And so in a way, I, I you know talk to him when I have my one-on-ones. It does feel very fatherly or brotherly. Um, a coach, um, an advocate, I'm, I'm constantly advocating for customers who have their stuff that's been damaged or stolen or, or it's just straight up missing And so I'm an advocate, Um, and I'm I'm sure there's all different types of stuff. But I mean, uh, you know, senior manager is my title, uh, coach, advocate, brother, father. I mean, those are kind of unofficial, but that's how I feel a lot of times uh, leading the team.
0: Mm, I love that.
1: Yeah.
0: And you said so. You just recently got this promotion. So, what are the different roles you've done before that in the company?
1: Well, I've been in claims for a little while now. So before that, obviously, just a manager of claims. Prior to that the claims lead and then a claims analyst um i got into claims i think it was just about 7 years ago before that the the only other position i was in at global trans was as a broker mm. and um basically we would have a computer screen a load board and it would be line by line a number of shipments so some of them would be really cool you know like coke coke wanted to move a couple pallets of their product and then some would be just like you know Bob's hardware and we'd have to move like a pallet of of some hardware material and my job was to source trucks so I would call trucking companies and say hey we have this low two pallets it needs to go to Phoenix to LA I'll pay you 500 bucks if you can do it and then I would have that kind of haggle with them and it required a, a kind of a salesman vibe you know mm-hmm. it required that that thing and I I don't really have that. I'm more of a, a back office. I'm a support guy. You know, I'm I'm a uh, an operations guy. I like kind of you know blue, more blue collar, uh, just kind of helping people, uh, serving people. But once you put that quota over my head, um, it just wasn't it just wasn't working out. And I was actually, it's funny, I was actually. I would say two weeks from being let go because I wasn't hitting my quota. And it wow. was two few months where I wasn't hitting my quota. And I was asking God, you know, I don't know what to do. I, I had come out of a position before I joined Global Trans where I was making just over minimum wage, a minimum wage now, not minimum, minimum wage then. Mm. Um, I had two little girls and then one on the way, my wife was pregnant. I was like, I can't lose this job. I'm making more money to support them. And I don't know what I would do after. And then I get onto an elevator and you know my, I'm I'm stressing because I know that the end of the month is coming up and I'm going to have that conversation about my quota and I hear a conversation taking place between the two other people there a, a, a man and a woman and they're talking about C.S. Lewis. And so, you know, my I love C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. And so I, I didn't interrupt. I let them finish their conversation. We all got off on the elevator and walked towards the parking lot. And then eventually the, the girl walks away and it's just me and the other guy. And I just kind of raised up the courage to say, hey, you know, I heard you talking about C.S. Lewis. And so we get into this conversation and come to find out he's a claims manager for Global Trends. And I just tell him straight, I go, look, dude, I'm going to be honest with you, two weeks, I'm missing my quota. They're gonna fire me. Is there anything opening claims? And he said, "Hey, come in tomorrow. There'll be a spot, and I'll hire you."
0: Oh my gosh! That was
1: it. C. That C. was Lewis. all she wrote. C.S. Lewis re-
0: does it again.
1: He did it again <laughs> from the grave. Back at it again with the white vans. That's how Jesus <laughs> rolls. Yeah, I love that story. Oh, I think God that's really
0: amazing
1: you know, and, and I don't mean to get too, you know, prosperity gospel on you, but, you know, I do believe that, you know, God's favor extends to, you know, even mm-hmm. things like jobs and, and, mm-hmm. and money when we need it. And, and God has favor on people. I believe that was a divine moment um, that God blessed me with for sure.
0: Yeah. That provision, especially in that place, yeah. you know, just describing for your family and everything. That's yeah. You know, that's, yeah. That's awesome. So it sounds like one thing you've learned about God's character through your work is just his provision and his faithfulness. What else in your day-to-day, the work that that you do, what have you come to, to tangibly learn about God through that work?
1: That's a good question. That is a good question. Two things kind of come to mind. One is God seems to enjoy hard work. Not hard as in, you know, oppositional to a person, you know, that that's part of the curse um, that Mm -hmm. we see in Genesis, but hard as in, you know, when you get done working, it requires rest, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there's, there's kind of an outlook and and maybe this is just my, um, I don't know, pessimistic view of, of kind of people. But what I've seen in people, especially from a supervisor position is people don't Tend to work to a point where it requires rest. They they work almost like to the baseline, like what what can I get away with, and then you know I can clock out and be done. But it seems like you know when you look at scripture, especially Genesis, when God's creating, I mean, He works hard for six days and then He rests for seven. It's a well-deserved rest. Mm-hmm. And then that brings me to the second thing is that it's joy. I mean, He looks at His creation and He's like, man, this is this is good. And you know, I would say. Not just here at Global Trans, but in all my positions, well one thing I've seen over and over is that th- there's kind of this this work ethic of of hard work, just really putting yourself out there giving your best, your best skill, your best thought, um, being on time you know, leaving late if you need to, to make sure the job's done and done well. And then when you're done, you rest well and you have joy. You can look back at your work and say, man, this is good. Um, And I think a lot of discontentment people have is because they don't work to the point where they, they, they require rest, resting to God specifically. And then they're, they're not happy with work because you know, they're, they're just kind of staying in this, this middle, this middle ground, this, this purgatory uh, so to speak. And so anyways, I started Mm -hmm. rambling, but um, those are the two things just you know, God wants us to, to, to give our all into the work and put ourselves in there. And then when we're done to rest and then look with joy on, on the work that we've done.
0: Yeah. I love that. Just so fundamental, like that, that can be true in so many different Um, types of work. Like God wants us to work hard when we're working and to rest and to enjoy it and look back. Yeah. That's,
1: that's. Yeah. I mean, people are, people are, and I'll be honest, there's a long time I was scared of hard work. I didn't, you know, I would say my, my dad was a hard worker, but he wasn't um, as present in my life as a father. He was there, but he wasn't there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so he never taught me what work ethic is. Is something that had to be refined in me. Um, I had terrible work ethic. I'd always be late or, you know, just calling out sick, even though, you know, I wasn't sick, which is kind of like a cultural joke of, you know, calling out. And just over time, I would say even in my position as a supervisor, it's something that I've learned to to appreciate is, man, when somebody comes onto the team that just they care about their work, they want to kick butt uh, for whatever Mm -hmm. the job might be. And then they can, you know, it's easier for me as a hard worker to sit with them and look back at our work and be like, man, Hey, great job. I mean, you did great work. And, and right now I have a lot of uh, amazing hitters on my team that, that do such solid work that I look forward to to talking with them just so I can say, Hey, good job. You're, you're killing it right now. Um, And I don't, you know, I haven't always been able to do that. And I know other people who've managed me haven't always been able to say that. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So in that work, in, when that hard work is done, like Mm -hmm. describe some of like the really tangible ways that, that the work that you do, the work that your team does loves and serves your neighbor. Like, yeah, the, the, the specifics of your work.
1: Wow. These are some profound questions. I like these works serves and loves my neighbor. Okay. So the work itself To me, as a picture of the gospel, you know, like I said, uh, there's a shipment in place, it's supposed to go from point A to point B, Uh, you know, that's Genesis, Genesis Mm one and two, you know, something beautiful is happening, let's say a, a pallet of water bottles, people are thirsty, they need their water, let's get them their water, but then lo and behold, it gets damaged. There's an accident, there's a fire, someone steals it. I have to step in and reconcile that issue. I have to figure out how can I make this right for the customer. So just the work in and of itself is a way to serve and love the neighbor. I mean, people, if, if I don't do my job, then then those water bottles aren't going to be paid for. And yeah. so whoever's thirsty isn't going to get their water bottles. You know, being part of transportation means that people get the stuff that they need. Uh, sometimes it's just, you know, um things like phones and things that aren't. Necessities, but some of it's like you know, like toilet paper. When that was kind of a big thing early 2020, (laughs) you know, our our business was popping. We knew that the toilet paper was there, but it was a matter of getting those trucks filled up with the toilet paper and get it out to the stores. And you know, so so again, just the work itself. Something bad happens if there's not somebody like me to step in and figure out how to rectify that for the customer who's purchasing the goods or who's supplying the goods. Um, then there's no goods. And so that that's one thing. Um, just to kind of bring it in a little closer to the chest, um, I like to look at my coworkers and obviously my employees as my neighbor, um, mm-hmm. as people who I serve. I think me managing this group of people is a huge responsibility and weight Um, I have failed at managing people and leading people in work so many times, but I can say in all honesty, even in my failures and through my failures, that my perspective has always been, man, I got to take care of these people because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, 30, 40 years, I may not be doing this anymore. And there's going to be, you know, things that will last in that person's heart and in my heart. Are going to extend for forever, and so I got to make sure that I'm caring for these people that that work under me, that work alongside me, and so that's just my personal perspective on you know just question serving and loving my neighbor. Um, those are just some ways.
0: Mm, so good. So like a supply chain reconciler, and then also just reconciling people like. Yeah, yeah. Supply chain I
1: think I'm gonna supply. change my business card. Supply yes. chain, chain reconciled. <laughs> that is sick. <laughs> that, seriously, I have a pen in my hand. I'm writing down supply <laughs> chain reconciler. It's you, podcast host.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, he warned me ahead of time. This is gonna be a good joke. I'm gonna
1: send you a picture of this too to show you that I wrote it down on my <laughs> business card. <laughs> Uh, that's so much better than senior manager manager of claims oh my god
0: okay so in the midst of this you step in in areas of brokenness like when Mm -hmm. when things don't go the way they're supposed to do how else like what else does doing this work um made you see about the state of our world the brokenness of our world um that maybe we can't see not doing the work you do
1: Right. Right. Well, I, you know, I don't want to repeat just kind of the general work, which I would say kind of speaks into that, uh, Mm -hmm. seeing the brokenness, which is just product getting damaged. But one thing I've seen a lot of is, you know, I've seen people deaths, you know, there's been a lot of fatalities. I don't handle fatality claims, but it Mm -hmm. just comes with kind of the position, um, where people will die and, and not the brokenness, not so much in the death, uh, which is definitely part of the brokenness, but I would say the response of the people around the situation and how it's handled,
0: hmm.
1: I, it's, I guess I, I'm struggling to find the words. But you know, when I get an email and it's usually from 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 um, counsel or an insurance uh, adjuster who's notifying me of the situation and saying, Hey, somebody passed and there's a, this is a fatality accident and all the products are damaged. It it seems, you know, because, you know, I'm a believer and I have this, this view of of God working through me here. You know, I, I start to mourn. I didn't know the driver. I I didn't know um, the people who, who might've passed, but Um, you know, there are times I've, I've actually cried and wept Mm. just by getting an email and it's a very bland business, like email, just kind of informative, but somebody died and, you know, I'm feeling the weight of that. And even in my responses, you know, I, I I try to be mindful, especially if I'm talking to somebody who knew the person who worked with them, you know, I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm trying to be very human, even though, you know, this is, there's business taking place, but no, I don't want to say nobody else does it. But in my mm-hmm. experience, most people just try to. It's almost like they're not. They don't want to address that. You know, it's it's uh it's like compartmentalized the the reality of this the situation that somebody died. That person is mm-hmm. gone, and mm-hmm. yeah, there's product that's damaged. Sure, there's a truck that's that's damaged. Sure, but this person's gone. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're gone, and uh, it's like nobody. At least their response is there's no interaction with that, and it's just it's just weird because you know, I get business, people think, oh, it's professional. You gotta, you kind of maintain that front. But to me, that's mm-hmm. a brokenness to, it, yeah, yeah. It, to other people would see that as like a, a cleanliness of, of a kind or a professional. It, it's, it's kind of keeping things restored or in order. I don't see that as in restored. I don't think that's how God operates and we're supposed to mourn death. And and I I don't think there's anything unprofessional about us kind of calling attention to that and giving, giving a moment to it. But um you know, that's, that's one thing I see a lot is, is just uh, the ways people kind of brush over death, which, you know, pops up, I would say every couple months, you know, somebody passes mm. on the road and it feels like I'm yeah. the only one who, who kind of sees it for what it is.
0: Hmm. It's so clear that you have like this, the shepherd's heart, which is so beautiful. And it, and it comes through in this context that you're in. And you've actually, you shared with me that you, have actually felt a call specifically to pastoral ministry for quite a while. I wonder what, what does it look like for you to work out that call, but while also growing in your vision for like the ministry of your everyday work? Like, do you feel a tension there still, or do you feel (sighs) like now you can, yeah, tell us about that.
1: My goodness. so I'm gonna get a little personal now. So I I was actually in youth ministry in my early twenties. I was going to ASU to pursue a nursing degree. Hmm. And I was going to a church and my boss at the time, who was a pastor. He said, Hey, uh, why don't you go ahead and quit school and come full time onto the church? And so I said, yeah, I was young, dumb. And, you know, I was like, yeah, why, why not just quit school that I've been going to for two years and pursuing this hmm. degree. And, you know, I was excited because I knew that God called me to preach. I knew he called me to pastor. I knew that the moment I was saved at 16 uh, at that young life camp I was telling you about. Um, so to finally kind of see it start to happen, you know, I was just overwhelmed with the excitement mm-hmm. and I eventually got hired as a youth pastor. I got ordained as a, as a pastor at the church. Um, and then as time went on, uh, I met my, my, my future wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, well, just a friend at the time. And, um, you know, we chose to sin sexually, uh, we chose to sin. And so because of that, my role as a pastor in ministry got taken away, and I would say rightfully so I mean, I mm-hmm. was, you know, using in this position, you know, I, I couldn't see the way that my position and and the way I was at the church could have impacted and influenced my wife. And I'm thankful that God had grace to keep us together. And we have a beautiful Mm -hmm. family and and we're following God now, but you know um, in a way that, you know, I would say I'm calling myself out here that that's kind of predatory. You know, I'm a pastor Mm -hmm. at a church and here's a girl who's, who's barely coming to know Jesus. Um, So God took that from me. And so the reason I share that is because ever since then, I've been fighting to get it back. Um, I've been I've been at begging God, please God, make me a pastor again. I want to be a pastor, and because of that, I've behaved uh, in a toxic manner towards people, almost like I am still a pastor, and so people still need to operate or or submit to me in that type of fashion. Mm. And it took many years of my pastors that at Redemption Alhambra at who had to patiently work with me uh, patiently work with me and kind of help re- take those things out of me take that that toxic behavior that toxic mindset out while also affirming like hey Anthony we're not trying to remove the call it is clear God has called we can see it but there are things with you as a man that have to be worked out with God and so it's just it's been a long a season, a long road where I've kind of tried to fight back into pastoral ministry that was taken because, because of my own sin, I will continue to to serve and, and shepherd and live in this tension where, where I am eager to step into a formal role as a pastor. Um, but um, I'm trusting God with that and uh, I'm being patient with it and um, I'm not trying to force it like I was, but it is definitely something that, that I look forward to.
0: Yeah. I, I just, thanks for sharing all that. I think it's just so helpful because all of us, or I'll say most of us, I guess there's exceptions, but have a vision for something that we feel passionate about, that we feel called to that, right. um, you know, and, and at 22, when we try to go hard after that thing, sometimes we crash <laughs> and burn Yeah. and yeah. It, whatever that is, you know, whether it's a, it's a graphic designer, like it could be anything, but but there's this process that God takes us through. Oftentimes he has us do work that we never imagined doing. And that maybe we saw as lesser than, but then as we see the the value and the beauty and the opportunity within that, and we're faithful, I think then he restores um, maybe some of those, those deeper sense of calling. Um, And he actually is shaping us and forming us to give us that calling back formally, potentially one day. So yeah, I just think that's really helpful. No,
1: I mean, you're on a roll right now. You're preaching right now. I'm like, yeah, let's go. I mean, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I am so grateful. I'm not grateful for my sin. I am grateful for the past decade where God has walked me through and used pastors who have lovingly kind of held my hand and you know disciplined in a, in a kind fatherly way. Um, because if if God had given me what I wanted. I would have been so destructive. It might be my name right now on some of these headlines that we're seeing about pastors doing this or pastors doing that. Mm. um, Because, because I was just not in a place, a a healthy place. I don't, I'll say this, um, you know, I believe that God has matured me, but if I'm not a pastor now, there's a a reality that I might not be ready even now. And I accept that, whereas in before I didn't, but you're so right. I mean, God has to do a work in order to prepare us for, the calling that we have otherwise we can do a lot of damage as people if we just kind of get whatever we want like we're a three-year-old throwing a tantrum and you know get get what we want that's not that's not how you parent somebody and God doesn't parent us in that way Um, and you know we shouldn't expect those things like you said whether it's a pastor or graphic designer so good.
0: Okay. Share a little bit more. So what have you learned in being, you know, just a lay leader, um, in your time at, let's say at your time at redemption, Alhambra, what sort of experiences or things, um, have really shaped you that, that you can share with us?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So one thing jumps to mind is talk is cheap. Social media, uh, is, you know, it's, it's worth its weight in, in gold. You know what I mean? It, it It's, it's a lot of people try to pastor, you know, using only their voice and their opinions. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a sham ministry in my opinion, if that's all you're doing. And for a lot of people, that's it. And that was my big sin. uh, I would say in the past five years, longer than five years is that I would try to get my opinion. I was so intent on pushing my voice out there, Mm. but I would say, you know, and, and what God's been doing and showing me in ministry is man, like your opinion you know, that's for the birds. You need to be with people and you need to serve and love people, my people. You have to serve the community, uh, which is kind of the second thing, which which is be where you're at. So, you know, I'm not Jesus. I'm not, and even Jesus couldn't do do it all. He was like, Hey, I'm focusing on, on, on the, on people, God, I'm focused on Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that, that was Jesus. And, you know, the Holy spirit, fills all of God's people. And so we have to trust God to work through the counterparts of the church. Um, And and that can only happen if if I am focused on where I'm at. So right now, Redemption North Mountain, um, I'm no longer at Redemption Alhambra. So um, I can't, it, it would be a disservice to myself, to North Mountain and to Alhambra if I in some kind of way attempted to go to Alhambra and, and have an influence or, or a greater influence. And, and I don't know, there's just kind of this lie in ministry. That's like, you got to have this influence. And a lot of that is mm. the weight of your words, the weight of your opinion. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's, that's for the birds. You know, that's one thing I've learned a lot is, is you really just got to serve people and be faithful. You got to be there. You got to sink in roots. Um, And people need that. I mean, it's, You can even look at it in your own life. You look at the people who stuck around. They've they've sunken roots. They didn't have this fear of missing out, like they had to go do it all. It was like they were just kind of where they're at, where God put them. They served there faithfully for years and years, maybe even still serving. And that's what I want. I want to be a faithful servant. Um, I don't want to be known for uh, my crazy opinions, which is for a long time, that was the, le- the legacy I was leaving was just getting on Facebook, blasting people, giving my opinion. And, uh, you know, um, you know, God had to had to do a work to kind of get that out of me. And he's still working on that and, and kind of getting that out of me. But, um, you know, just staying, staying where I'm at. And uh, loving people. I hope that answers your question. I feel like you ask a question, and my mind just goes in a million places. But
0: yeah, no, it's great, and it made me think. I'm just thinking about your work at Global Trans and how much that must have shaped you, because you had to submit to this, you know, ordinary work, right? Like right. what yeah. feels ordinary when, when there's this idol that so many of us struggle with of influence and getting our yeah. opinions and and having, you know, but you're you're dealing with claims day in and day out and a team of, did you say 11?
1: 11 now, yeah. 11,
0: like not a platform, you know, where you can reach uh, hundreds of people at once on Facebook or not a whole church, like- Eleven people serving faithfully. And if you just spouted your opinions off to these eleven people, they'd be like, Okay, we don't care. Do your job.
1: (laughs) Like you
0: you better, like like, I think
1: they say that anyways. Now I mean I'm not even I just tell them what to do and they just say that's an opinion. We don't we don't want to hear that.
0: Yeah, just the restoration of being faithful in a place for a long time, how that shapes our character back to what it actually means to love and it's in in the small and everyday ways of just being faithful. Yeah. Right. So, I, right. So in in your time in your time at Redemption Alhambra, I you know, some some of our listeners will be, you know, maybe a part of the Redemption network, maybe in Phoenix or some will will be, you know, nationally beyond. So I would love to hear a little bit because I think that's a very very unique community. Um, there's a lot of, you know, talk about multi, multi-ethnic multi communities and, and Redemption of Humber has um, been blessed enough to be one of those multi-ethnic communities. Um, can you tell us a little bit about ways that that time shaped you and any word that you may have for just us as Christians in our everyday life wrestling through these big questions about, about race and about diversity and how we can process that in a way that will shape, you know, our, the way we, um, interact in our neighborhoods and our communities and our workplaces.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going to the kind of the first thing you mentioned in Redemption Alhambra. So I think the leadership, um, goes a long way, the men and women who, who kind of oversaw the ministries and the, the pastors and, um, there's, there's this uh, image in Revelation where uh, you see all tribes, nations and tongues coming to God's throne and, and giving mm-hmm. God praise. And I mean, even saying it now, I feel uh, kind of in, in awe of it, of the idea um, mm. of being in the presence of, of God himself and looking around. And it's like all different shapes, sizes, colors, um, languages, uh, man, what a what a powerful picture. It, it honestly wasn't until I was being pastored at Alhambra that I saw men and women who said, look, this reality is extending into our world now. It's not something we have to kind of say, okay, well, that's that's beautiful for you know when God makes all things new, but because the kingdom of God came through the work of Christ and now through the church, that's something that we should Work for now as ministers of reconciliation, um, you know, God has broken down this wall of hostility between his people, the Israelites and the Gentiles, which is everyone else. And so we have to see how does the gospel um engage and interact between uh cultures and people who, especially cultures and people who have been at odds or in opposition of one another. And I would say mm-hmm. in our culture here in America. I mean, we have, uh, a, a great example of that kind of hostility, uh, specifically between black Americans and white Americans. Um, and that's not it. There's so many nuances in that conversation, but obviously that's kind of, um, the high level, big historical 400 years of, of slavery and, and, and then Jim Crow and, and how that's affected. And, and I think, uh, for a long, long to- time, uh, Mainstream evangelicals have uh, either participated directly into that sin or, you know, looked the other way and kind of just allowed it to take place, uh, you know, over over year after year after year. And it's just kind of embedded into the soil, not just of the country, but even the church itself.
0: Yeah. So
1: now we're kind of at a tipping point, right, where, where the conversation uh, culturally is on race and within the church is on race and it's something that we we can't shy away from. And the leadership at Alhambra never has shied away from it. I would say they were even ahead of the curve mm-hmm. on a lot of it because um, things won't just happen naturally. You won't get all kinds of races and, and ages and socioeconomic backgrounds in one place worshiping Jesus naturally. It's something that you have mm-hmm. to fight for. And a lot of people might not like th- you know, even me saying that they say, well, you know, the gospel brings us all together. But we see even in, in the New Testament, when Paul had to confront Peter and say, hey, you're, you're, you're kind of going back against the gospel because of, of, you know, you abandoning the Gentiles, because you're trying to appease, um you know, your, your Jewish brothers. And it's like, hey, fellowship with your Jewish brothers, but don't abandon, uh, abandon the Gentiles and, and create this, this chasm that God has already reconciled together. And so uh, kind of bringing it down a notch back to Alhambra, You know, we have our pastors and leaders who who recognize that things will not just flow into this revelation picture naturally, that you have to fight for it and you can't just talk about it. You have to serve and love different things and you have to press into some very awkward and challenging conversations and relationships. That's the key is there are people who have kind of opposed maybe the conversation, but because the leadership consistently pressed in loving and serving, mm-hmm. even those who were vehemently opposed to the idea of, of, you know, race discussions. Now I've seen a change in heart in a lot of those people. Some people couldn't, you know, they just said, I can't do this and they bounced, but a lot of people stayed and they worked through it and there's still work. Some people are still struggling with it. Um, people I know and love. But some people have really had a, a tremendous change in heart where they recognize that in order to have these reconciling type of relationships and 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 culture, you have to be willing to stay at the table, have these conversations, live it out. Um, and that's what the leadership, leadership at Alhambra did. And so I got to see firsthand uh, in my own life and in the lives of many, many people that I still love very, very much how the gospel got expanded, you know, I think. A lot, a lot of people have a truncated view of the gospel where it's just like, hey like well Jesus did this on the cross and he ascended that that is the apex of the gospel but the gospel has effects and ramifications that extend to all of creation including race and and gender and uh um um how much money you make and all these different things. And, uh, you know, again, seeing how people, people's view and, and lives have changed um, because the leadership at Alhambra was willing to step into these hard places year after year after year and press into very difficult relationships, you know, when they could have easily said, look, this is too hard. Let's just, you know, quote unquote, preach the gospel and teach the Bible. And, and, you know, then, then we would have seen, um, you know, and I don't think we would have seen at, at Alhambra specifically, um, you know, all these different barriers start to get broken down between people of all types. And so
0: mm, yes, thank you. And and I just how you started there in Revelation, when we when we know the end of the story, when we know that our ultimate destiny as God's people is to show up with our ethnicities and our cultures fully intact in submission and worship to Christ. We don't have to fight to, you know, make it our identity or fight to downplay it. We can just live into it fully submitting to the King um, and celebrate it and enjoy it. Like you said, right. um, and yeah. yeah, the words that you shared, I think, yeah, it's, that's really helpful. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We're going to finish on um, what I have a feeling is your favorite topic. And I think if, if this was a visual, uh, if people could see, you'll probably be smiling through all these questions. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about you being a dad and a husband. Um, that is like so clear when I, when I hear you talk about your girls that you just, just are, are smitten. So can you share, share your vision for just the vocation of being a father? Um, some ways that being a dad has shaped you and, and just, I know it's something that, uh, that you're really passionate about even encouraging, um, fatherhood, uh, beyond your own household too.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, even as you asked the question and you're, you're kind of teeing it off up to me, um, you know, my eyes are welling with tears, just thinking about my wife and my daughters and mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, I am head over he- heels in love with all of them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny being a dad or a parent in general is it's, it, it's weird how your love for somebody, and then, you know, another, you get married and your love is just so full. And then, well, hopefully, you know, if it's full. And um, for me, it was full. And then I have my daughter and, and it didn't divide. The love didn't divide. It multiplied in, in a weird way. You know, it's like the cup got bigger and God filled it with more love. And then I have an, another daughter and, and it multiplies again. And it's just funny how, how love multiplies in that way. It never divides. I think that. That concept of love multiplying has been one of the bigger things God has showed me, taught me um, as a dad and as a husband. Is you know His love for us multiplies. So I look at my five daughters and my my wife, and I love them so much it it hurts sometimes. It's like a an ache, a good ache, you know, like mm-hmm. C. S. Lewis talks about the the good ache of when you lay down and your your body's sore, but there's kind of like an ache of of when you lay in your bed and, and, you know, your body kind of feels that ache, but it's kind of a good feeling in a way. And and sometimes my love is so full for my family that, you know, I'm just, I, it's like a, a good ache in that way. And, and God has given me a father's heart. I, you know, when I, I grew up, like I told you earlier, my, my dad was there, he was present in the home, but he wasn't there for me the way I, as a son needed him. I, he didn't raise me um, and show me, Hey, this is this is what a good man is. This is what Mm -hmm. a good man does. And I think I I hit so many obstacles in my life. And even now dealing with insecurities and identity issues um, because, you know, my my father just didn't, uh, you know, measure up in those ways. And um, God has, has given me such a heart to to be a good father because he is such a good father and, and, and giving me the vision of how his love multiplies to his children and, it, it's helped me understand grace um, a bit more because I can get I I couldn't and I don't mean to 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 bash on anybody who doesn't have kids I definitely don't want to give the impression that I'm saying you can't understand some of these things without a wife or or kids or you know marriage or or whatnot but I would say what God has shown me man is uh, the grace. It, it it starts to make sense when you have this love for, you know, for, for me, for my wife and my daughters, um, you know, he's, he's shown me that. And there's a lot, there's a lot, even in the Bible, when I'm reading some, some of the more headier stuff, when I read it with a perspective as a father, it's like, mm. Oh wait, th- this kind of gives a whole new spin on what I've been taught uh, because I'm a father now. And so if this is a father speaking through men to me, or to us as a community, um, to his people, it's different. It's jumping off the page a little bit different Mm, than it did before when I was just keeping it up in my head and, you know, up in the, as an arbitrary or ethereal thought, um, just giving, puffing up my head. No, no, no. Now that I'm a dad, it really brings it down to the trenches and it makes sense in a whole new way. And so, I know I'm kind of rambling a bit. You know, I have a ton of thoughts on on fatherhood. I was telling you I I did a YouTube channel one time about about my about being a dad, and you know it's it, I love it so much. I was definitely born to be a dad, and and I'm I'm grateful that God has blessed me in this way, and it's definitely given me new insights onto Him, His character, and uh, and the Word itself.
0: All right, you got to tell us that YouTube channel now.
1: Oh, YouTube! Here, here we go. Um, What, what's a? There's a phrase, right? When you, when you kind of pitch your, your content. Um, (laughs) God, I can't remember. Anyways, uh, so it's called Every Dad Day. I haven't made a video.
0: Every dad day.
1: Every dad day, and uh, yeah, it's on YouTube. There's probably like five or six videos. I will get back to it because uh, I'm a creative, uh, and I like to write poetry and spoken words, and um, Hmm. I like to make. Uh content because that's kind of artistic in a way I get to kind of express myself and and it was a lot of fun, so um once I kind of get out of this busy season, I do have intentions to make some more content and if you're a parent or specifically a dad who just kind of wants to be silly with me or maybe get some some tips on how to do the dad thing, um you know, I have some thoughts that that I like to share, so every dad day, check it out
0: every dad day <laughs> all right, got one more question for you.
1: Yeah, what's, I thought that was the last question. Okay. okay. You're, you're,
0: well, no, no. The, la- the last theme last, is last, We're the gonna best of the, the fatherhood. The last question is still about, it's about your daughters. So, okay,
1: part B. Got so, it. Part
0: B, part B, fatherhood. If there was one thing um, that your daughters could take away about how the gospel, how you how you embody the gospel through your work or your rest, what
1: would it be? Huh? God, these questions, they're so good and so profound. I feel like I need to take a college course though, before I engage some of these questions. I don't know if I'm smart enough to answer some of these questions, but I'm going to do my best. So how would they, okay, let me think, let me think. I think pretty simple, actually. I would say the biggest thing that they would probably see or learn as far as in, you know, the gospel and how, how it engages or approaches work and rest is when daddy's working, I am working. I am fully engaged and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to work hard. Just like I said earlier, I want to work hard Mm -hmm. and I want to find joy in it. I want to give my all. So they know that. And then, but when I'm resting and I'm out there with them and I'm, I'm playing or we're drawing, we're doing crafts or we're watching TV, I'm resting. You know, I'm Mm. not, I'm not here logged in, you know, and and some people struggle with that, with juggling that. And some people, I I am naturally prone to be a workaholic, um, but they know that, hey, the gospel gives us freedom to work hard and it gives Mm. us freedom to rest. And there's a distinction and a line there that, that we have to keep in place. Otherwise uh, things can get unhealthy pretty quick. Mm,
0: Amen. Oh, Anthony, thank you so much for this conversation. uh,
1: It's a pleasure. uh,
0: I, it's definitely the most honest and, and I think one of the most fun that I've had so far. So I really appreciate you.
1: Hey, there we go. Okay. I appreciate you a lot. Thank you for inviting me. Um, You know, I appreciate it a lot. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining today's conversation. If you have any ideas, questions, reflections, feel free to leave us a comment on iTunes or reach out by email at info at faithworkrest.com.